Happy Sabbath. I have a good news for me. It is raining, and I can preach till the rain stops. <laughs> Reformation, the search for bread. It is actually all about bread, don't you think? October 31, we have celebrated, actually some denominations have celebrated the last decade, this anniversary, 500 years of Protestant Reformation. Now what is very interesting, as you can see, now, the Central European Bank has produced a bill, a paper bill. It's a real one with all the attributes of real money. It's euro. But you cannot buy anything for it. You see a zero here. And it is written, God's grace is free. God's grace is free. Now it is very interesting. 500 years ago, when God's grace was not presented as free, the churches were packed in Europe. There were even lines to buy indulgences. But today when we preach that God's grace is for free, most of the cathedrals and beautiful churches in Europe are empty. Why? And so the question of the essence of Reformation is still a valid question. Today we will study with you the book of Ruth. A small book, but it's a jewel of biblical literature, both by message and by language. But before we open it, let us ask the Lord to talk to us. Our Heavenly Father, today as we open your word, we're asking you, please, speak through your word. Make your ancient word alive again. And we will give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let us open the book of Ruth and start reading it from the beginning, chapter 1 and verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. Now what is very interesting and striking how the biblical author starts this small book. He refers to the time when judges governed. 
There are actually several books that describe this chronological period. Of course, it's the book of Judges itself, then the book of Ruth, and some chapters in the first book of Samuel. When you look how the book of Judges ends, the last chapter and last verse, it states, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Or a better translation says, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was pleasing to him or to her. And so the book of Ruth starts with a reference to this period. It was a period when there was no king in Israel. Judges governed, meaning everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. Looks like a description of the 21st century, isn't it? Everyone does what is pleasing to him or to her. Now it came about in the time when there was no king in Israel that a man, because of hunger and famine, went out from Bethlehem to Moab in search for bread. And his name was Elimelech, which is very interesting. Elimelech means, my God is the king. There was no king in Israel, and yet there was a man whose name was a sermon, whose name was a message. There is a king in the universe. Yes, invisible at times, sometimes even not noticeable, but there is a king in the universe. And so, dear friends, At the beginning, as we start reading this book, if some of you are going through challenges right now and it seems very dark and the thunderstorm is very strong in your life and you feel like the Lord somehow is on vacation and you feel that there is no king in the universe, please don't forget Elimelech. He still, through his name, was preaching, there is a king. My God is in control. Now, it's very interesting. It states here, it was a famine in the land. Now, if we go to the first book of Samuel, we will recognize something interesting. It was not only a physical famine, But it was also a spiritual famine in the land at that time. Chapter 3, 1 Samuel, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And so now returning to the book of Ruth and starting reading again, verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. But not only a physical famine, but also 
a spiritual famine. What is of great significance that the family was living in a town called Bethlehem. Now, if you translate Bethlehem from Hebrew, it really means the house of bread. And so the author of the book of Ruth starts and tells us, in the house of bread, there was no bread. And people were forced out of the, of the house of bread to the land of Moab in search for bread. Now, if you go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23 and verse 4, it's interesting like Moses is telling, reminding the people of Israel that when they were crossing the desert and going from Egypt to the promised land, they were going through the land of Moab. And now Moses reminds the people of Israel and says, they did not receive you, did not meet you with lechem, with bread. And now the tragedy of the story. In the house of bread, there is no bread. And the people are forced to go to the land of Moab, where they never were received with bread. But the famine, the hunger is pushing them. They in the search for bread. Whenever there is a search for bread, the situation is ready for a reformation. Because the bread is the foundation of any reformation. And so we ask ourselves today, could it be that today in the 21st century, Churches are empty. Cathedrals are empty. Because in the houses of bread, there is no bread. And people are forced to the internet values of mob to search for spiritual food. Is it possible? I must tell you that you are in PMC are very blessed. I know that for sure because I was a student here decades ago. And I was eager with my family to visit this place because Pastor Dwight was breaking the bread in the house of bread. But the big question remains in our witnessing, in all what we do, the big question is, is there bread in the house of bread? I must tell you a story that when... I started my work in the Eurasia division. One of my first trips I did to the country of Moldova, it was in the year 2000. At that time, this was one of the poorest countries in Europe. Now the situation is much better. But then, it was one of the poorest countries. But in the year 2000, our church celebrated 110 years of the and of the church's existence in the country. And so the government was very gracious and they gave to us the biggest, the nicest palace of the country for Adventists to celebrate 110 years of their existence. And I remember well, before I was preaching, a representative from the parliament spoke. And what he said, I will never forget. 
he told us that the Speaker of the Parliament in Moldova received one day a letter. A letter that was written by a young boy from a fatherless family. And in this letter the boy wrote, My Heavenly Father, I don't have an earthly father here on earth, but my mother tells me that you are my father. And so, Lord, if you are really my father, please help us and send us at least 100 lays. This is a local currency in Moldova. So that I could help my mother to provide bread for the family. He put the letter in the envelope and put the address to God and sent it out. When the letter came to the post office, they didn't know, they couldn't figure out how to send it to God. And so they decided, well, let's send it to the parliament. They have nothing to do anyway. Let them try and figure out how to send it to God. And so when the letter came to the speaker of the parliament, he called all the chairs of all the committees, read them the letter and asked, what should we do? And one representative said, you know what? We can use all, a lot of time figuring out how to send it to God, but let us not disappoint the boy. Let us put an envelope and put at least 10 lay in the envelope and send it to the boy as an encouragement. And so they did. But after a while, they received a second letter from the same boy. And when the letter came, the speaker called again all the chairs of the different committees and read them the second letter. And in the second letter, the boy wrote, My Heavenly Father, my mother was true. You are my father. Thank you for sending help. Send, thank you for helping us buying some bread. But Lord, please, next time if you decide to send us help again, don't send it through the parliament because they kept 90 lay and sent me only 10. <laughs> you know, we are laughing. But I ask myself, very often when I finish preaching, I ask myself, the Lord wanted to provide 100% of his blessing through his living bread. How much have I retained for myself? When we witness to our neighbors, when they observe our lives, how much bread do they get? And so there was no bread in the house of bread. And the people were forced out from the house of bread to the land of Moab. But then let's go to verse 6. Chapter 1, the book of verse. Then she, meaning Naomi, arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard that in the, she has heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them lechem, bread. You see, friends, whenever there is bread in the house of bread, you don't need to even advertise it. It will be spoken around. People will come. 
Because the bread, the word, is the power of all the reformations. It is a very interesting when Martin Luther was asked, what was the success of the Reformation? What was the reason of the success? He made the following statement. And if you, you can find it in Luther Works, volume 51, page 77. Luther writes, I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no, that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The Word did it all. The Word did everything. The Word as a foundation of Reformation. Martin Luther sometimes preached four times a day. Sometimes he started to preach at 5 a.m. when the farmers were going to the fields in the church of Wittenberg. Martin Luther was there breaking the living bread. And when the farmers were returning in the evening, entering the small town of Wittenberg, they knew that Martin Luther is at the pulpit again, breaking the bread. And a great movement started. Dear friends, it's all about the bread. As Naomi heard that finally in the house of bread, there is bread, she decided to return. Verse 22. So Naomi returned with Ruth, the Moabite, the daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I don't know in PMC the time is going so fast. And the rain is promising to stop. So let's move to the end of the book. Let's pay attention to the last recorded words of Ruth and Naomi. As we go to the chapter 3 verse 17, we will find here the last recorded words of Ruth. Now Ruth returned back from Boaz to Naomi. And she speaks, and these are her last recorded words in the book. Words in the book. And she said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You know, the language of the book of Ruth is so interesting. And here is a kind of a play of words that reminds us of chapter 1, verse 21. Because in verse 21, chapter 1, Naomi complains and she says, I went out from the house of bread. I went out full, fully loaded. 
but the Lord has brought me back empty-handed. Now Ruth is referring to these words and says, and quotes the words from Boaz and says, these six measures of barley he gave me and he said, do not return to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Actually, it was Ruth that went out empty-handed. Now she is returning back home to her mother-in-law fully loaded. She couldn't even carry a kilo more. So heavy it was. She brought it to her mother-in-law and says, he told me I should never, I should not return to you empty-handed. You know, the book of Ruth is really also a book that describes God's providences. And I would like to quote a statement made by John Flavel. He said, The providences of God are like Hebrew words. They can only be read properly backwards. You know, if you go through difficulties, you don't see very often the hand of the Lord. When you go through the difficulties, you don't think that the Lord is still king of the universe and alive. But it is when you look backwards and you look through the window of God's providences that you see things totally different. And now Ruth, in a way, is inviting her mother-in-law and says, Mother-in-law, please look into your own future through the glasses of God's providences. Look, you said you came back empty-handed, empty-handed, but no, it's not so. Take the six, you know, measures of barley. Take them. But mother-in-law, it's not all. Keep looking and you will see that your grandchild, great-grandchild, will be born in Bethlehem in the house of bread and will be anointed in Bethlehem in the house of bread to become the king of Israel. No, Naomi, it's not all. Keep look further. Keep looking and you will see through the generations your great, 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 great grandchild, Jesus, who will be born in the house of, of bread in Bethlehem, who one day will stand up and say, I am the living bread. I am the bread of life. Naomi, now you have not only the bread in the house of bread, now you have not only the king of Israel, now you have not only the living bread. Keep looking further. One day, your great, 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 great grandson will say, I am the resurrection and life. Naomi, he will resurrect your husband. Naomi will resurrect your two sons. Keep trusting, keep looking. The king of the universe is still in control. Dear friends, 
I don't know in what stage in your life you are right now. You might be, might be wondering today is in the plains of Moab. You might be experiencing losses today. I don't know. You maybe feel thrown out of the main highway of this life. I don't know, but please don't forget to look up to the invisible but still real king of the universe who has the power to turn your sadness into joy. Now let's look at the last recorded words of Naomi. Now Naomi responds to Ruth. Chapter 3, verse 18. Then she said, Naomi, to her daughter Ruth, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Now what is very striking, Naomi doesn't call Boaz by name here. And this is with intention, the biblical writer has done it. Because he wants to see it, he wants to see us, to invite us to look a little bit deeper into the story. Because when you read chapter 3, the man is earlier in the chapter described as a goel, as a redeemer. And so Naomi is now almost prophesizing, speaking not only of Boaz, for Ruth, his significance, but speaking about the goel and the importance for all of us. And she says, wait. But the Hebrew is even better. The Hebrew said, sit down. Relax, my daughter. Sit down, relax. Because there is someone, a redeemer, a goel, who will not sit down, who will not relax, who will not take it easy till he solves the matter when? Today, as soon as possible. Dear friends, we have a Redeemer who will not relax. If you go through difficulties, even then Naomi is crying out to you, sit down, just wait upon the Lord. He will not relax till your matter will be solved as soon as possible. It's very interesting. In the beginning of the book of Ruth, we have two ladies that need to make a decision. Orpha and Ruth. Now Naomi asked both of them, please return back. It is as if pointing to Eli and Samuel. When God was calling to Samuel, Eli was saying, go back and keep sleeping. Now Naomi speaks to her daughters-in-law and says, go back. Go back. Ruth makes the right decision. She says, no. I will go and will be part of your people. Your God will be my God. The one who rules the universe, the invisible king of the universe. I will choose him. I will go with you. And now, from now on, it is the Moabite, the Rus, that writes the sacred 
history of Israel. Because through her, not only David the king, but Christ himself would come. And how about Orpha? She decided to return back. And from now on, her name is never mentioned again in the book of Ruth. But when it comes to the end, there are two men that are called to make a decision. There are two relatives who need to make a decision. Who would be willing from them to share the bread, the physical and spiritual, with a Moabite, with a lady from Moab? And it's interesting that the one who is the closest relative rejects the call. And you know what? When you read the book of Ruth, everyone who is mentioned is mentioned by name. The father, the mother, the brothers, the daughters, everyone except one person. The person who refused to help. A person who refused, refused to share A person who refused to become a Goel, a Redeemer. His name is not mentioned at all in the book. In fact, when Boaz was sitting with the elders at the gate, and the closest relative was coming by, Hebrew actually tells us that he was looking to him and said, Hey, so-and-so, come here, without mentioning his name. He totally disappears from history as if he never existed. But Boaz decided to become the one. And now he, together with Ruth, are writing the history of God's people. And finally, through their ministry, through their work, Christ himself would come. And so when we speak about the Reformation today... It is of significance to look at the bulletins that you have received and at the picture. It is my famous picture, the most famous picture from a painter, Lucas Granach. He is very often called the Reformation painter. He was trying to picture the essence of the Reformation and he has done it so right. He portrayed Martin Luther in one hand holding the written word. This is his other hand pointing to the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And the most significant thing is that when you look, here you have only part of the picture of the painting, but if you look at the audience, the eyes of the audience, of everyone there, is directed not toward Martin Luther, but toward the Redeemer. And this was really the foundation of all the Reformation. The two pillars, the written word and the incarnate word, the Redeemer. The word of God and the life and ministry of God, our Savior. We speak about five solas, but in reality, 
they're all based on these two solas. Sola Scriptura, Solus Christus. Dear friends, today as we commemorate the Great Reformation, it is really up to us if we are willing to become a redeemer for my neighbors, for my friends. And I would like to encourage you, please, please choose to be one and share the living bread with the dying world. Amen.